I finished the IPO in September. I actually made a trip to India in October at 2:40 a.m. when I'm coming out of the flight. There were like 40 or 50 employees who were at the airport waiting to receive me, and we directly go to the hotel. And there's a party hall at 3 a.m. I'm cutting a cake and celebrating with the employees. The first thing I told them. enough of celebration we have to go back to work because we have inspired a whole nation and we have called ourselves an indian athlete who has won gold you can't go back to sleep now you have to keep winning you have to keep see for an athlete to keep winning you have to keep practicing the hard work happens before the race hi i'm jubin operating partner at kleiner perkins and i'm excited that you're tuning into grit a podcast that sits down with amazing leaders every week to discuss what it takes to create build and scale world-class organizations. The goal of this is not for it to be a highlight reel of how successful my guests are, rather a candid exploration of how hard it is, both personally and professionally, to build history-making companies. Speaking of incredible companies, we don't do sponsorships on the show. So if you're inspired by the stories of my guests, my call to action is to reach out and let's find a great home for you in the Kleiner portfolio. Where does G come from? Where does that nickname come from? I think it's my Starbucks name because yeah. when I used to go to Starbucks and order coffee, when I say Girish, yeah. they kind of write it as Garish, Gorish, and so on. <laughs> so I just got tired of it. I said G, and then also I used to sign my emails when I'm writing quick notes to employees. Instead of saying thanks and regards, Girish, I'll just say G. And some of my employees started calling. One of my actually my football partner Srilesh who. used to run freshworks australia for us this is the first person who started calling me g as an employee and i think it caught on and everybody can i call you g yeah does uh, do most people call you g yes most people do so i'm juben and my starbucks name is jack because it's a nightmare and when i make dinner reservations and everything it's all jack which is sometimes misleading because when someone comes as jack as and you don't have an identity jack. to prove them. well and someone's like oh i'm here for jubin and they're like we don't have a reservation for jubin there's only yeah. jack so you should that's the difference between the truth and the lie so if you say you're a j yeah it's truth that's right if you're a jack it's a lie that's right that's right that's right <laughs> well dude it's great to have you here thank you for spending the time i have watched hours of videos of you you look like you're in great shape like you're very fit now man you look like you're like about to run an iron man yeah covid was a blessing in disguise in that sense i got time to spend on clean eating yeah. staying at home working out not see if you're always traveling it's hard to eat well and work out yeah right so for meaning even though it's an excuse but with time zones and yeah. jet lag you don't have that energy so i think what covid did for me was gave me the time to focus on my health yeah and if you're spending so much time at home i i wanted to get out so i started by walking like uh, when i was in hillsborough i started walking 6 miles every day just to get off zoom and spend the time listening to audible like some books or whatever and I started enjoying walking and then I started clean eating and cutting down on carbs. So when I started losing weight, I didn't look healthy. Right? You know that's what happens yes. when you start losing fat. You look as if you're ill or sick. <laughs> <laughs> so and your friends start telling you, "Hey, what's happened to you?" Then I thought, "Okay, the best follow on for that is start working out." So I got a trainer and I started lifting weights and got into the best shape of my life and then last year after a 5 year break I started playing tennis again. So right now I really enjoy playing tennis. So. How do you feel? Feel great. Well, dude, it's great to have you. 
I'm just going to kick things off if that's okay with you. I start all these things the exact same way, which is I'll read your background to you and then we'll go from there. And some of these are like names that I'm like, I'm not even going to be able to pronounce the school that you, Shan, Shanmuga or? Yeah, Shanmuga College of Engineering. Now it's called Sastra University. Okay. And you got your BE there and then you went to the University of Madras to get your MBA. Yeah. Then you went to Cisco, HCL Cisco. Spent a little over a year there. E4 spent about a year there as a software engineer. Then you went to Advent. Advent Net. Advent Net. It's a bad name for a company. They renamed themselves to Zoho later. <laughs> right, right. Oh, this was... Wait, wait. You went from Advent Net to Zoho. No. Advent okay, Net. Okay. It's all one. Advent Net was rebranded as Zoho. Got it. You were at Advent Net for four years. Then it got rebranded to Zoho. Yeah. That makes so much sense. So you started out in pre-sales. This was in August of 2001. This was all in Chennai? Yeah. Okay. And you did that for a year, then three and a half years as a product manager. When you say all in Chennai, uh, E-Force was in the US. Okay. So you were in the US for E-Force. Yes. And then moved back to Chennai. Yes. Then it became Zoho, rebranded, director of product management, two years of that, vice president of product management, almost three years of that. And then... As of October of 2010, that's almost 12 years ago, you started Freshworks. I'll get into what Freshworks does, but it is actually a giant company now. It's like 4,300 employees. Is that the last number that I checked? Is that wrong? Uh, It's a little bit more now. More. Okay. 100,000 plus customers worldwide. Took five years and two months to go from 1 million to 100 million of revenue, which is Pretty much as good as it gets. So so the 58,000 paying customers. So the 100,000 plus includes free premium customers. Yeah. You got funding from Excel, Tiger, Capital G, Sequoia. It's amazing. And I want to talk about a lot of Freshworks. Can I rewind from the very early days? What was your childhood like growing up? What was it like in Chennai? I grew up in a small city called Trichy, not Chennai. Okay. So this is 300 kilometers from Chennai and it's a tier two. Think of it as a smaller, smaller town. So all my schooling was done there and my college, the Shanmuga College of Engineering was mm-hmm. also like 40 kilometers from Trichy. So I came to Chennai only in 1996 after finishing engineering. So I think mostly very little exposure. We're talking about Growing up in the age where there was no internet and no mobile phones. And uh, so it was a pretty normal life, but very enjoyable with where we really hang out with friends. Gaming meant really playing out in the streets. So we used to play cricket on the streets. And so I think exposure wise, even today, I would say like growing up in a city versus growing in a tier two town, it's a very vast difference. So my father was a retired banker, like a retail banker. So middle-class family so we grew up having very less exposure about the overall world and what's happening. So I have spent hours and hours listening and watching you. You don't talk about your childhood very much at all. It almost feels intentional. The research that I did, it sounded like you primarily grew up with your dad. Is that right? Yes. Am I wrong to say that you don't talk about it very much? Like, or, or is that just, did I miss it? Or No, you're not wrong. There are two reasons for that. Number one, a lot of people want to hear about Freshworks and want to hear mm-hmm. about my entrepreneurial journey. So yeah. I, I don't want to talk about... Right, you have 30 uh, minutes on stage. <laughs> so, yeah. Right, yeah. That is one reason. Yeah. The second reason is, unlike 
the us it's not very common in india for parents to go through a divorce uh, it, it's getting more and more now but when i was growing up it it's not like in the us so here you know that there are couples who divorce and then there is custody of the kids and so on so it is not so common so my childhood in terms of accomplishments or i was an average student so there's nothing much to talk about mm-hmm. and the reason i don't go into personal aspects is because i don't want to hurt anybody who's probably reading the news article because sometimes media sensationalizes it like there was an article during ipo saying they were connecting two unrelated things making up stories about my parents and things like that which was completely irrelevant so that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why i don't i think one of the reasons why i like to explore it is because so much of the things that i've seen in your later career are informed by this by your early days and by the way i'm the same way like i grew up with divorced parents there was a ton of pain that came from that there's also a lot of motivation and i think a lot of people that are in your position who are going for unreasonably large things have an unreasonably large burden that they're carrying usually from childhood i completely agree with you that that experience has shaped some of the things that is what make me who i am today i will tell you one of the important things is decision making right so a lot of times protective parents they take decisions for their children and i like i had to take my own decisions from a very early stage right from deciding what i want to study your to, own decisions yeah yeah on so everything about everyday life when you start taking decisions very early mm-hmm. you make your share of mistakes early so you learn to live with the consequences of your decisions so mm-hmm. i think that's definitely not being in a protective environment and being out there so it makes you street smart having to fight for basic things in life when you go through certain situations like these where what is normal for other kids is actually not easily available to you for example going to a movie with your friends so if you had to like really fight to get certain things which come easily for others then those experiences create that survival instinct which wants you to win more and make sure that you know how to get this i think these are all you're right in terms of how these things shape who you are so can you help me understand like the movie why couldn't you have that because there's a lot of kids yeah. like you that are in this spot and think there's no way there's no way i will be able to do this i think it's really inspirational I don't know how much you are aware of the social fabric of India and one of the reasons I don't talk about these things is yeah. I don't want to hurt anybody who's listening in today right so I understand that there are a lot of folks like me yeah. who may be inspired by this but at the same time 100% I have divorced parents I always carried this thing where I couldn't talk about it and I realized having a two extremes of an upbringing was the best thing that could have happened to me and it took me just talking about it more yeah no i i agree and i have two high school boys and yeah. one of the things i want to do is like not be overprotective parents and take mm-hmm. decisions for them so i want them to grow up as independent children who can take their own decisions and learn more importantly learn to live with the consequences i always thought this was normal i just thought this was how everyone is kind of raised and the way that it started to manifest for me was like in really weird ways where I started asking myself why am I this way? So one, I'm so competitive. I hate losing. I can't stand it. To the point of exuberance, like it's irrational the way that I feel about losing. And 
I don't even like winning that much. I just hate losing, you know? Why am I like that? Why am I so driven to just like do big things in my life? Where does that come from? Is that fear? Is that motivation? Why am I so closed off? So I started asking myself these questions because I realized just through day-to-day life, when I talk to other people, I'm like, hey, do you experience these feelings? They're like, no, man, never. Or like even how I'm never present. I'm always thinking about something else, the next thing. I'm always excited about the next thing or the thing that just happened. And so I started asking myself and others just, do you feel this way? I, I can tell you, Jubin, as you were speaking, I'm smiling because I feel exactly the same way. And I know that my sons are also like that, like very competitive, hate losing. And what you said, if my wife is listening in, she would fully agree. She could be with me, but I am always uh, in my own world thinking about certain things, right? So I, I, like I can completely tell you, I'm wondering if you're talking about you or you're talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> so I talked to a ton of people that you know, one of whom was an early investor. And he was saying how G was this, he didn't really fit in at Zoho that well. Like he had a good run there, but like he pushed faster and harder than the organization felt comfortable with. I don't think any big company would ultimately in the long run be a good fit for you. I just don't think that these organizations can move at the speed that you want, whether it's Zoho or any other big big company. Is that fair? I, I think what you're talking about is for any founder, when you want to like really do a lot of things, move from, even today I was talking to somebody about how you can move from idea to execution in like a matter of days. And I think it's definitely something that I enjoy a lot being a product person. I'm usually impatient. I want to do a lot of stuff. Let's talk about the journey of Freshworks today. We are a public company. We are more than 4,000 employees and I'm looking at it as a great learning journey of what is different. So I think in one line, if I had to summarize it, a startup likes to do a lot of busy work, right? Because you have 100 ideas, you want to pursue all the 100 ideas, it gives a lot of happiness to purpose-driven work. In a larger company, the role of the CEO is to create the long-term vision, to create the priorities for the next year or 18 months, and then create the clarity and alignment for the entire organization to go and accomplish those four or five things, right? It's a different skill set. And one of the things I enjoy a lot is learning new stuff. And I think this is what is the learning journey I am on right now to really see. But again, I completely agree with you that I really enjoy building stuff and moving fast and doing things. But I think most founders are like that. And to be clear, your reputation is Zoho. It's like you're a superstar there. Like you were the PM for the pretty much largest product line they had there. I mean, right? Like you, you at did that time. At the time. I guess maybe the question that I'm asking is you walk out of there knowing this is your fourth company that you've been in the help desk space. You've been there your entire life. You built the, at the time, the largest product line. You had an amazing team. You were the, one of the first people they sent to the US to build the Austin office. They're like, you had all the accolades. However, it felt like you were still overlooked. If you're asking me, when you had all of this, why did you yeah. have to start Freshworks. Right? Yeah. That's a, if that's the question, I can tell you. So the move to the US to set up the Austin office yeah. and the move back after one and a half years kind of took me away from being hands-on on product. 
So I like I had all my product managers building the products. I suddenly became like a management team member mm-hmm. who had gone to the US but then you know 2008 there was the Lehman Brothers collapse. Yeah. We had big plans to hire more people in the US and then we had to slow down. So I had a conversation with my CEO and said, "Hey, I am not the kind of person who can sit in a remote small office and I my magic I need to work with people, uh-huh. right? I need to be interacting. I draw energy from people." So I said I want to go back and when I went back, all my products had the product leaders who were running them so i became like the guy who was to run from meeting to meeting resolving right. conflict i think i could say that i was kind of wanting to get back into the action of building product that is one part of it which led me to even be in that zone of hey should i do something different mm-hmm. but i'll also tell you when i joined zoho in 2001 the hr manager at the interview asked me girish where do you see yourself in 5 years i actually told them I will start a company in 5 years and be an entrepreneur. I told them in 2001. So I actually was late to start fresh. So <laughs> of all the places to go to from a small town in India to go to Austin, Texas. Cuz that's not a normal US town. By the way, one of my favorite cities in the world. I adore Austin, Texas. What the hell were you thinking when you showed up there? No, I'll I'll tell you that was not my first time in the US, right? Okay, so yeah, yeah. you Second understand time. you went you went during Cisco, right? Or E-Force. No, E Okay. Yeah, yeah. So let me clarify. Yeah. My first time in the US was in 2000 mm-hmm. when I came to the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So that is the time you should be asking this question how did I feel? And then in 2001 to 2007, yeah. every year I have done at least two or three trips to Vegas or other Got cities it. for conferences. I was traveling as part of my job. So because I was building products from India, yeah. but the products were sold in the US, right? So I had so many conferences, trainings, mm-hmm. customer meetings. So I would travel every year. So the in 2008 when I landed in Austin, that's not like a breathtaking moment for that me. That wasn't the moment of like I'm in America now. Yeah, that was in 2000. In 2000, my mom when she came here, some Persian, her dad passed away very young and then mom passed away not long after she moved out here, escaped the Iranian revolution. She went to UC Riverside because she thought it's by the river. It's not. It's not on the water for anyone this. It's not like uh, uh she had no idea. Didn't speak the language. Moved to I think Kansas originally. and obviously a different world. When you moved to the Bay Area in this was 2000, things were starting to really heat up here, no? And you were in technology. Was this heaven for you? No, this was, first of all it was an amazing experience. Primarily I'll tell you because three of my best friends had already come here and they are the ones who were telling me that Girish you should come to the bay area we are missing you we are having this amazing wine and and by the way they are talking about a 5 dollar wine carton from Albertsons <laughs> but the the way they hyped it up you know, from Sunnyvale was like i decided okay i should probably go and when i land in san francisco airport my friend comes to pick me up in his fancy honda accord right every all indians if you see in 2000 they would either have a camry or a corolla or a honda accord and it's usually beige or silver those are the indian colors i don't know the the maybe it's to do with the fancy of gold and silver so as we come out i would say the first thing that hit me was the size of the infrastructure the roads right so like as soon as i was on 101 I, we have never seen like highways and roads like this the concept of like freeways with exits was very very new and even india okay india did not have like highways connecting states we do now like in 2000 the roads weren't as massive as this even today it's not as massive as this so i think that was the first impression of the us and it was like wow and then i would say pretty much the next one hour 
it went from wow to not great because my friends were in a, a small apartment like a studio apartment in Sunnyvale three or four of them were sharing it and i was also going there they didn't have any the, the furniture wasn't there it, it was really a bachelor's pad like uh-huh. a frat house and they had this $5 wine and things like that and it's all expensive in 2000 you had to understand apartments in bay area were like for a two bedroom apartment we're talking about $2500 or $3000 in 2000 so it was super right. expensive even then and salaries weren't great like we were making like 50k 60k salaries but i actually had a training business in india and i was like used to a better quality of life so the first thing i did was like got them to move to a bigger apartment got like furniture tv and home theater and set up the whole thing to really create see i said if you are living in america like let's better use uh, like have a better quality of life right so that is incredible you're not going to be able to comment on this because you're a humble guy but i have friends that have worked or work at freshworks and they're like this guy's the fucking tom cruise of india like this guy <laughs> this guy walks around is it true just tell me true or false people want to take selfies with you like when you're walking around in india is that weird or is that the most flattering thing uh, yeah it is and i think it's happened after the ipo and uh, you became like a superstar in chennai in india our employees really there's a lot of love and respect which i think is mutual that's probably the reason and also i think you don't see a lot of business successes from india right like the next generation leader so we have seen movie stars and so on but people who are succeeding in business it's like relatively a newer phenomenon unlike the valley where you have so many superstar entrepreneurs who are creating great companies almost every year so i think i don't know i don't know the reason why it's happening but yes it's happening I've heard you say that there's an unconscious bias in India that a rich businessman means he has to be a bad guy. We need to break that bias. What do you mean by that? Yeah, basically I think unconscious biases are exactly that, right? And so in general if you look at mostly if you look at the movies, right? All movies would portray rich guys as the bad guys who are always scheming and doing bad things. There are good business people and there are not so great business people. There's a lot of like let's say india has money that's like black money mm-hmm. or corruption and mm-hmm. money is given into the hands of other people who masquerade as businessmen so there is a lot of that happening and maybe it's happening in many countries we're seeing a lot more of that in, in the media today in other countries yeah see my fundamental philosophy is okay you can be successful in business without doing bad things right, right. like being a good person and winning is not mutually exclusive right so I really think that we need enough role model examples in startups to showcase that hey you can win the right way and you can create wealth and it's not a bad thing and you can be rich and it's not something that you have to hide because it's all done in the right way so Yeah this is a weird question but so much of your ambition to build this company when I listen to you is about hiring people that can go make a better life for themselves building a product led company in India. It's hard to walk around your hometown without kind of getting bombarded with selfies and stuff. There's a lot of pressure. Do you wear that pressure? You're trying to be a mentor, an idol that's coming out of India building a company. I, I don't know, does that ever weigh on you at all? Whether it's freshworks or my role, I've actually talked about pressure is a privilege. And you've heard that from I think the Boston Celtics coach or someone yeah. uh, because when they are winning every year the fans expect them to win consecutive titles yeah but you have to think about what if it's not there 
if nobody cares about you, that's actually the worst thing. I used to say this in customer service, like the opposite of customer love is not hate, it's indifference, right? Mm-hmm. I'm actually happy that we had the opportunity to create so many careers in India and a lot of people who would have otherwise gone into maybe not tech jobs or even I would say sales or marketing jobs in tech, right? We created these careers for people who are coming fresh out of college. I took that as a responsibility. I'm super happy to see so many people blossom and be successful and actually create a lot of wealth for themselves and their families. And so it's it's a good thing. It's really special. You said in the beginning of the company that you want every future employee to have their own BMW car one day. I was reading that the IPO resulted in more than 500 of your Indian employees becoming, I don't even know what this is, Kroripatis? So Kroripati is uh, 10 million rupees. Which is about $131,000. Yeah, but one crore is like a million dollars, meaning in, in the, not in the exact translation You're like sense. a millionaire, basically. Yeah, it's like that. Like people say Kroripati is like a, a beginning of the measure of Right. Yeah. So you did that for 500, 500 people were part of that. How special is that? The most important thing to understand is the markets have corrected. So yeah. I don't know the right yeah, number right now. now. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but the other important thing to understand is it's not just all 500 people don't have one crore. Like there are many who have like 50 crores, right. or 25 crores. So I think it's still, maybe the number is still holding right. up there. I, I think it is really important because see India as a, country has not seen as much of wealth distribution to employees. A lot of the traditional industries have been built where employees don't get to share wealth. It's only the promoters. You didn't have much equity at Zoho either, did you? Uh, no. Yeah. No, I think Zoho does not give any stock option yeah, to yeah. anybody. It's it's like a private company yeah, and they yeah. don't have plans to go yeah. public. It was not promised. Yeah. And, and so totally. nobody I'm not, I'm not like talking down on, on yeah. them at all, but that's just culturally, it's kind of a thing there. Yeah. When I started Freshworks, we really wanted to create a tech company like they do in the Valley. Like we wanted to be a world-class company. The fact that we started in India, and I used to tell this to VCs who were trying to fund me when they would try to beat down the valuation. I said, hey, we compare ourselves to a Silicon Valley company. We know how other companies are getting funded in their seed and series A and series B. So don't try to talk me down on valuation because we are an Indian company. We are not, an, we are a global company that started from India. So we wanted to make sure that we had that and wealth creation was also part of that. So uh, This is true. Once you realized that it was time for you to start a company, you quit your job, didn't really tell your wife that you were quitting the job. You had a new mortgage on a new apartment and two pretty young kids. <laughs> and then you just went for it? How did, how did that go? See, I had a conversation with my wife when I decided to start a company. But initially what I told her was, maybe I'm thinking that I will do it later. Like I won't quit my job. Maybe I will do it once I have some form of stability or revenue. But I just couldn't do it. Like I wanted to kind of focus full time. So it's not like I didn't tell her. I did tell her, but I didn't tell her that I'm going to walk out of the company today or, or this day, right? So, and and I think truly it just happened in a matter of days where mm-hmm. I was just asking myself and I just couldn't bring myself to keep working when this idea was consuming me and I really wanted to jump in. So I spoke to my boss before I spoke to my wife and said, this is what I want to do. And I decided to quit. And then I came 
and told my wife that I already told my boss and so I'm going to quit. So How'd she take that? Oh, she was really upset. Uh, she was in tears. In fact, she actually asked that you're, you're like, you have everything. You have, like, I had a company, Honda Civic car. I was one of the highest paid non-management member, like employees in the company. And I was well respected in the company. So she couldn't understand why would I throw it all away, right? But now she's happy. So yeah. that I did all of that. What was the tipping point for you? There was hundreds of help desk companies. Hundreds. 600. 600, 600 before Freshworks. You've worked on four of them. What was the tipping point for you? You're like, all right, this is it. There were two things, right? One is the idea for the product. See, I've been building Helpdesk since 2004. In 2004, the concept of a multi-channel customer service Helpdesk meant customers can contact you via phone, email, chat on the website or a contact us form on the website. This is this used to be multi-channel customer service in 2004 and 2005. So the idea for Fresh Desk, the company was called, started as Fresh Desk. The first product was Fresh Desk. Fresh Desk stands for Fresh Help Desk. So the idea came from a personal customer service incident that I had when I was moving back from Austin to Chennai. I was shipping all my household goods back and my 40-inch Samsung LCD TV arrived broken two and a half months later. So I had bought insurance. So I tried calling the shipping company and asking them for the insurance claim. And long story short, five and a half months of back and forth phone and email and submitting all the documents, they simply wouldn't process my insurance claim. So I went online and shared my story on an online forum where I got the reference for the shipping company. The community started engaging. The president came and apologized on the same day and the next day money was in my bank. So when I started looking around, I saw that Again, we are talking about very early 2010 when Twitter and Facebook were just, were not being really used for business, right? And I can see that customers or users were taking on brands on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, on blogs. So it was starting to become a pattern where customers who are not getting good service from the company, who were frustrated, were actually complaining online and the community, it was actually impacting the brand and the companies were forced to do the right thing. So that is where I saw that, okay, there is this multi-channel customer service is now evolving to add at least a few more channels. So I thought, okay, Twitter and Facebook would be good places to start because that's where most of the action is happening. So in fact, when we launched Fresh Desk, so we were one of the truly social help desks also, because uh, we didn't only focus on Twitter and Facebook like a value company. We did everything like email, phone, chat, etc. But we also did Facebook messages, Facebook messaging and Twitter, like converting tweets into tickets. So all of that was part of the uh, first launch product. So. Mm-hmm. And when you saw your engagement on social to get the refund for the TV, was that the aha moment that you had? to give you the courage to say, this is it? So no, actually, because that happened in February. And so that is when I started thinking about, just as a intellectual who's in the industry, thinking about what is happening in the world of customer service. This is something new that's happening. The actual aha moment came in May of 2010. Same year. Yeah, same year. Okay. Like two, yep. like two and a half months later, yep. when I actually read an article on Hacker News about Zendesk hiking their prices by up to 300% to their existing customers. The original article was on TechCrunch. There were comments from so many users 
when i started reading that i felt like hey for a customer support company they don't seem to have a lot of happy customers and on hacker news there was a comment from mark ransom who was the ceo of a company called ransom soft it's still there by the way so he actually said here's an opportunity for somebody who can come and build the right product at the right price and take all of the industry customers away so i was actually thinking about the fresh help desk or, or a, like a new help desk about social media and so on this was actually the actual tipping point because i was reading it during lunch after lunch casually browsing hacker news then i went and spoke to my co-founder today uh, and my friend who was also reporting into me and said hey i have this idea what do you think would you like to join me and we can do a startup so he didn't think for even 5 minutes he said yes wow and that's how that was the tipping point that's amazing you built the product pretty quickly and you got it to market pretty quickly when excel first came into the office the story that was relayed to me <laughs> was that you were in this pretty small not didn't look like well you think it was the size of this room you think it was bigger than this room 700 square feet 700 square feet the walls were all colored different colors the chairs were all mismatched all different chairs plastic tables and brand new macbooks brand new multi thousand dollar macbooks and he was like you know i think they have their priorities in the right place is that true yes it is true see again this was 2011 when companies like we work and other co-working spaces did not exist and chennai wasn't a great place for startups to kind of find office space the reality was there was millions of square feet of commercial class a buildings available but they all had a minimum requirement that most startups could not get in so we had like a garage kind of a setup where the colors of the walls we actually painted them green and yellow for fresh and the furniture was like somebody who had just started a small company like they they had closed down so it was okay furniture so we just bought some chairs from some other startup that was winding down it was all as you described it fresh colors or fresh paint on the wall in green and yellow crappy meaning ordinary furniture but yeah macbooks for everyone because we wanted to make sure our developers have the right productivity tools and the power would cut off there wasn't much parking tell me more like, like yeah so i think 2011 was a bad year for chennai and the state of tamil nadu where every day in chennai which is the capital city we would have like 2 hours of no power and the rest of the state would have 8 hours of no power so like people would go through hell right and also you have to understand in summer which is pretty much april may june 100 plus degrees yeah and there's no power which means their conditioning will stop working and we actually have the laptops which can run on battery but uh, pretty much when the whole room is so hot and uh, can't you work. can't just work you, we just used to sit and talk and uh, then we actually got a honda genset which is a petrol powered genset to make sure that a generator yeah a generator yeah so we bought a generator we used to buy fuel like petrol every day and make sure that the ac can be powered through the generator we had to do all the wiring for that the building that we were on is like an old dilapidated building there's a church in the front and then we were on the second floor of that building meaning in india we call it ground floor first floor in the us you call it second 
second floor. Uh-huh. So there would be a motor which takes draws water from a well <laughs> for the water supply. If that motor fails, we won't have water in the bathroom. So we used to go to a friend's house if you want to use the restroom <laughs> and or we used to go to the nearby Domino's Pizza for lunch and then use the restroom there. So it wasn't a lot of fun. So the first thing that I did when we got the Excel term sheet for $1 million was to get out of that place and go into a proper class A building so that we have proper infrastructure. Good, I mean, again, car parking, we were parking on the roads. So even when we had six... And you didn't have your company car anymore. No, but we had bought a smaller car. Yeah. So we, even when we were six people, me and my co-founder used to come a carpool and come in one car. So we still had three or four cars to park on the road. We used to be harassed by cops because we were parking on the road and they didn't like it. So the million dollar check from Axel gave us the freedom to like go into a proper building where we have good car parking, we have restrooms that are maintained by the building. So we can worry about infrastructure like AWS infrastructure and not really water right, and power. Right, right, right. That's the right kind of infrastructure to worry about. Were you thinking, oh man, what did I do? You go from this cushy job with the company car. You, you just said you downsized cars, like you have a smaller car now. You know, your employees can't go to the bathroom like two hours, two hours a day running out of power is great. No wonder no one's building companies there. It's crazy. Did you ever think like, oh no, no, it, it was a big worry, right? Because also the other important thing I didn't tell you is me and my co-founder weren't taking any salaries. The other four were taking 25% of what they were making in their last jobs. So they were all making sacrifices. They all had good equity and they're all super happy multimillionaires now. But at that time, I could clearly see the only thing that kept us going was Okay, we had launched the product in June. We had customers. In fact, we had 100 customers in 100 days. But this period that I'm talking about was really when we were getting ready for launch. And one thing I could clearly see was while the morale was good in the team, my worry was how long can I keep it going? Because some of my employees were actually not yet married. They were going to get married. And you know, in India, the parents are like, if people look at your social status, where are you working? How much are you making? Mm. Like, what and that stuff work? really matters yes. in India. Yeah. And I started thinking about, okay, what about what happens 12 months down the line, right? Or how long can I keep morale going without all these things? Again, we didn't know whether we are VC fundable, right? I really thought which VC is going to fund a help desk software. Help desk software is boring, right? It was not cool. But when we got the opportunity to raise a million dollars, I had a conversation with my co-founder and said, hey, we need to do this because we can quickly move people back to their old salaries. We can move to a better office. We can start hiring. See, again, when we were six employees, we couldn't hire any women employees because like we had only one restroom. The office was a garage. So it's not like... You don't want to scare people <laughs> to come right. and work in this work, garage, right. right? So we had to move into a better office so that we can start hiring folks who see this as a professional startup. This is a company that's worth betting my career on. Do you think that scarcity, that level of desperation, and I kind of go back to childhood question that I had. When you know what that feels like, it creates some urgency. You're like, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. Yeah, I call it constrained creativity, right? You have to be really creative when you don't have marketing dollars. Like we used to exploit 
every free source i've personally done this 36 sites where you can get free pr for your startup right <laughs> or all the listing sites where you could actually go and list your product so that you get organic traffic for free right and i think all those backlinks worked in our favor in seo and stuff like that later so i think that kind of constraints force creativity which when you have so much money as a funded startup people don't even start thinking about those things like you immediately want to start spending money on adwords which is an expensive channel so your cost of acquisition really becomes high but our cac was really low because the blended cac yeah was not super expensive because we had so many free sources of leads when you look back on that time you five employees your co-founder are you nostalgic do you ever miss that or are you like that's a dumb question like no way i definitely have really good memories not just so see there are stages where there is enough nostalgic memories so when we were six people we used to eat every meal together right and in fact one of the rooms which we use as a working room would be like it had a dining table so we will convert that we'll move the laptops away and that becomes a dining table and we'll all eat together right every day i used to order tea and coffee for employees at 11 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the afternoon some days we would walk out in the evening for a snack and chat about this so definitely those nostalgic memories of where almost it felt like living together and uh-huh. eating together so that is definitely there and after we moved into the a bigger building even when we had 50 employees 100 employees i still remember going out for the snack so slowly one by one things started reducing but i would still go for that evening snack with those first six people right and then with other early employees i still remember i have so many memories of playing foosball with the employees taking them out and going and trying out different restaurant options so we always used to have different groups going out for lunch but one thing i've realized as a ceo is progressively all those luxuries which required time are being taken out from you and now it's all like meeting meeting if i go when i was in chennai in 2019 or 2018 i, I actually used to call my office like a modern jail because i was never let out of that like even if i had to go to the bathroom i had to go <laughs> between meetings i had to tell my ea that schedule meetings for 55 minutes and give me 5 minutes gap so that if i have to like really grab a water or use the bathroom so i need to have a break and food like lunch used to come to my room so that i can have a meeting during that time snacks used to be served in my room so that there's meetings happening you become super busy and i have always thought about hey all my luxuries of what i used to enjoy of spending time with you're folks you're nostalgic about having that time yeah and choosing how to spend it yeah cuz now you're a ceo of a giant public company not giant get, <laughs> pretty big you don't think it's giant i don't think it's i think we're just getting started so you know well what that garish have said a 4000 5000 employee company he probably would have said it's a pretty giant company Yeah in 2010 I remember telling somebody I was taking blessings from uh, an elder person who said provide employment for 1000 people I remember telling him we may not be hire 1000 people any time maybe 25 50 people is the maximum we'll go and uh, he said uh, who knows what god has in store for you that's amazing i've heard that in the early days of freshworks which as i guess probably this was fresh desk when someone would come in for an interview they would know if they got the job that same day. Is that true? Yeah. Same day. Same day. I love that. I I wish we could still do that. Why did you do that? If I can do that I would do that for all interviews at Freshworks even today because see a lot of times I know that candidates 
hate that we'll get back to you answer right and nobody likes to kind of keep waiting for long and every company should make it a point to like clearly give feedback and give the result as soon as possible so for me in the early days i used to do a lot of research on the candidates before even i call them for interview like for example if i'm hiring a content writer i would ask for samples i'd read all the content so they really have to screw up the interview to not get a job or if i'm hiring through employee referrals like we would know we do our background checks on okay this is somebody whom we really want to hire so the interviews more of a check where the candidate has to really do something bad to not do that so what i would do is have my hr person be ready with the offer and i would actually say i would whatsapp them the actual salary amount because i would have the towards the end of the discussion i would say okay uh, compensation expectation etc once we agree on the number i would just quickly whatsapp it to my recruiter and print the offer letter and bring it then and there and the candidate would be like wow how did this happen so that's amazing i've also heard tell me if this is true or not that your first 70 engineers so the company was built the code is written in ruby ruby and rails yeah and the first 70 engineers didn't know ruby on rails no see uh, em- employee number 69 was the first one who came with ruby on rails as a uh, background knowledge what what yeah because it was super hard see you have to understand we are not living in the valley and hiring in the valley right so like every engineer in india probably the majority of them knew java some of them were c c++ at that time maybe you have dotnet also but Ruby on Rails was like really new and really hot at that time. There was one group, a Ruby on Rails discussion group, like an open coffee club. It's called Chennai Open Coffee Club, order, where they talk about Ruby on Rails. But that would be like the only pool that I can hire from. And that would have been like, if I focused on Ruby on Rails talent, then I don't really have a pool to hire from. This again, constrained creativity, right? So when you have those constraints, you learn to hire smart people and then they can learn ruby on rails even my co-founder cto is a java programmer right like our head of uh, data center is a java programmer and they all learned ruby on rails in fact when i convinced him to join he said i don't know ruby on rails i said you are a smart programmer you can learn ruby on rails come in and learn that's incredible can you talk about what is ripoffornot.com <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> so i think uh, these early days stories are so special yes these are so special This happened on December 2nd, 2011, if I remember. December 1st is when we actually announced our Axel funding. So immediately one day after our Axel funding. Million dollar seed. Yeah, million dollar. Yeah, we called it Series A. We didn't even know that Amazing. we should call it seed. So our first round of funding was called Series A. Because I thought, okay, everything starts from A. Like, uh, I'm a bad programmer. <laughs> It's the alphabet. <laughs> I still don't understand why people can't uh, start with A, right? So... <laughs> So well, that is a pre pre-seed. Yeah. No, yeah. it's a pre-seed, post-seed, pre-series A <laughs> and post-series A. So, and we're talking about pre-seed of $50 million now. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. Seriously, yeah. There was a random tweet. This was from, I think, Ben Keeps, who's in New Zealand. And he's a cloud analyst. Like he was putting out a random tweet saying, hey, to me, Freshdesk seems to be a ripoff of Zendesk. And see, one of the good things about cloud is you know if somebody has signed up for your service or not see and i know ben keeps from my days at zoho we used to run a blog called cloud avenue and ben keeps was a blogger who we contribute like, he didn't know me but i knew that the zoho division was using him and he was a contributor to that so i know he's a respected cloud industry analyst 
and for somebody like that to call out on twitter that fresh desk is a rip off of zendesk i was actually surprised so the first thing i did was went to the team and said hey do you have a ben keeps who has signed up for the product did he try out the product that there is no sign up then i actually went back on twitter and said hey ben you are a respected cloud analyst if you had compared the two products and written an objective review then that would have been useful you are just calling us a rip off why are you calling us a rip off and he didn't know what to say right because he has not signed up for the product he has not seen fresh desk we said okay well your name also has desk in its name right so that's the reason why he is calling rip off and then he copies the ceo of zendesk so i said hey they don't own the name desk right i have created service desk plus facilities desk uh, support like uh, and and there is also so many other companies which have top desk which are all founded several years ago right and there was a desk.com later so you can't call us a rip off because we our name has fresh desk and they are zender right and, and people use these terms so he immediately copies the ceo and then one of his friends like they actually come and say hey oh, fresh desk bunch of indian cowboys Now then I said hey you're making an unsolicited attack on our nationality and that reflects poorly on you not on us and he said hey I'm not making an attack on your nationality on you on your lack of innovation then I said okay you haven't even tried the product how can you comment on our lack of innovation so this became like a twitter war of words but rather than continuing the fight what I decided to do was again the zender ceo famously came and said oh well you know what they say imitation is the sincerest form of wait what a freaking rip off right so, so yeah, they, they, it's like a coordinated attack on fresh desk right so we decided to investigate and so my employees were like super angry right so this generation I fired them up yeah they wanted to like respond and fight so i said i had to hold them and all of this happening over a weekend where we were all on remote calls working yeah. from home yeah. <laughs> during the weekend and we created this website ripoffornot.org i even called our investor shaker and said are you okay with it because you want to keep the board members informed and we said this is what is happening we are being attacked and we want to present our side of the story and rather than fighting on twitter we want to create this website and clearly show what's happening ripoffornot.org ripoffornot.org and we outlined the whole story and also exposed that ben keeps was a paid blogger for zendesk and the whole community started supporting us this went viral on hacker news like we had so many entrepreneurs supporting us we actually also created a email address called cowboys at fresh desk and said <laughs> we are hiring if you want to uh, join us apply cow- at cowboys at fresh desk and then we had a lot of indian entrepreneurs actually change their twitter profile with hashtag indian cowboy for a day that's amazing What a great story. So you have one product at that time and it's working. That one product is selling. You knew you wanted to build a giant company. You knew giant companies never just have one act. They have many products. You know how to build many products. Like that's your core competency. You've had that in your head the whole time, I imagine, right? Let me first start off by telling you that uh, in 2000 between 2010 2011 I had booked 40 domains starting with fresh So I I clearly wanted to build a multi product company oh my okay God. so I have everything like fresh you can see fresh service fresh game fresh desk fresh team we have all the domains right so I just booked everything and also what I wasn't able to articulate clearly at that time was our whole inbound business model see today it's called product led growth yeah 
So we used to call it inbound business model where we drive traffic to the website, give customers an easy sign-up experience, make the product really... Can we acknowledge that's still the same thing? Yeah. Like, it's still the same thing. It's just a fancier name for it. Yes. <laughs> so where people can just really... And solving for end-user pain is not the exact pain. Those characteristics are the same. And teams buy it. Like, rather than an enterprise-level buy, it's one team... Like how a team would buy project management or a design collaboration software, there is a team that will buy a help desk ticketing software. So that is how we started, right? So we actually, in 2012, started building Fresh Marketer. So I wanted to build marketing automation because it was relatively a green field at the time. So you have to understand that marketing automation was one of the recent new categories that emerged in B2B at that time. Right? And now you have enterprise collaboration like Slack and things like that. But B2B categories don't get created that often. right? Marketing automation does not have incumbent on-premise vendors. If you see most of the marketing automation started with web analytics and web trends was there. And then I don't know if you know, you're probably too young for web trends. Then there was Urchin software that Google acquired and it became Google Analytics. So that was the start of marketing automation. And you, when you had exact target and par dot and they got acquired, so there was a greenfield opportunity to actually enter marketing automation. And probably HubSpot was a few years in and they were the only game in town in those days. So I actually started building marketing automation in 2012. But when I came to the Valley and talked to some really knowledgeable investors, they said, hey, your core product fresh desk is not even a million dollars in revenue at that time. And so if you build a second product now, Everybody will think that you're pivoting from customer service to marketing. And you're also going to raise the next round of funding. So the new investor will be confused. So you'll be changing the narrative of the company. So that's not a good idea. So I didn't fight. I thought it was good advice at the time. But I still wanted to build multiple products. So what I went and did instead is, see, when I saw our customers for Fresh Desk, almost one out of every four customers was using it as an internal IT help desk. Because when people are searching online for help desk software or ticketing software, so it could be for external customer service or internal IT help desk. So they were using Fresh Desk as an internal IT help desk. And so I went to my board member, Shaker and Lee Fixel at the time and convinced them that, hey, I can actually build an ITIL service desk product that way, I can show that we are not like a one-product company. We can replicate the same disruptive online acquisition inbound model. And I am an ITIL service manager myself, so I know how to build this product. I also said there is precedent in the industry for the narrative. So I can still be a, a help desk software company for external customers and internal customers. Like Parachur at that mm -hmm, time, mm -hmm. before getting acquired by Microsoft, Parachur mm -hmm. had... Parature IT and Parature CS, like internal help desk and external help desk. So I convinced the board that it's worth uh, experimenting and Lee was excited about it. And so he said, okay, go ahead and do it. So we built that product. First year, we got 1.5 million in revenue. Second year, 6.5 million in revenue. Wow. So clearly then from that point onwards, the board came back to me and said, Girish, what are all the other products that you have in mind? What right. can you build? Right. And one of the things that we've seen in RKP portfolio company, Rippling, have you heard of Rippling? Yes. They are, from the get-go, a multi-product company. Uh, they probably have 20, comp they have 20 products. It's, you, I'm sure you know them pretty yeah, well. Yeah. And, uh, the CTO is in Seattle now. Prasanna is a good friend. He's yeah. in Seattle, yeah. but based the engineering team in India. And that's exactly my point, is that 
I think what you tell me if I'm wrong, but what many investors then and still now overlook is that the constraint to building multi-product companies is engineers. You need people. And the problem is that if you're in Sand Hill Road or Silicon Valley, you can't hire that many. It's too competitive and it's too expensive. In India, you can. And that's what Rippling figured out. That's what you figured out. Is that right? That's like that's that is absolutely that right. is a prerequisite. Yes, and I'll tell you in 2014 I was attending a Google Zeitgeist event in Scottsdale, Arizona. This question came on stage to I think the CEO of Stripe if I'm not mistaken. So they asked about the importance of focus and not building multi products. So I think the answer was that theory comes from hiring developers in Bay Area because it's super expensive. I'm telling you it only takes us like 6 engineers and maybe 8 to 9 months of time to actually experiment and put out a product and from a cost standpoint it'd be like under 500k to really run an experiment to see if you can get a product that's worth pouring fuel on and so why wouldn't i do that if you can truly experiment and create a winning product that's a whole venture model so in fact i used to joke inside the company that hey i am like the vc inside freshworks and all of these products are like startups so you guys i'll give you some capital and time so you go and build and let me see if it's worth follow on funding or not it was kind of a perfect storm even though you had to go against the grain in every direction because that model also doesn't work very well for enterprise customers right that model of fast iteration product led high velocity with multiple product lines in india is to take advantage of the long tail of the market not the fortune 500 is that fair it is fair but one milestone event happened in 2014 which educated the entire community about an alternative saas model and can you guess what that event is in 2014 i think it was 14 yeah 2014 an alternative saas model in 24 was the salesforce no it was that lasian ipo mm so that lasian ipo really made the entire investing community especially in silicon valley and wall street sit up and make notice of the flywheel model they called it the flywheel model basically again you have to understand the similarities of atlassian right so not founded in silicon valley inbound or product led growth and you have to understand that inbound does not mean only smb companies so both in atlassian and freshworks there are teams from larger companies larger enterprises who come inbound so the go to market motion is similar to a mid market company we are not going outbound and hunting for a large multi million dollar enterprise deal but it could be a large company like even in freshworks in 2013 we sold to burger king somebody at burger king came and evaluated fresh desk and they bought like i think hundreds of licenses and we closed the deal from chennai right so it's very different go to market motion when you're going outbound versus a team coming inbound they know that they are evaluating an out of the box product and if the requirements fit they're going to buy if it doesn't they're not going to and we don't do a lot of customizations and we can help them with integrations with data migration we have some marketplace apps but we don't do the traditional enterprise or take a platform and build the hell out of it right so that's an interesting nuance and and that lasian ipo actually helped investors understand that there is an alternate broke market. their belief barrier yeah when you got to the 500 million dollar valuation mark was there a decision making point around that mark where 
did someone advise you? Tell me if this is wrong. They said, gee, if you're below 500-ish million, it's not crazy expensive to get acquired. If you're about to raise at a billion-dollar valuation, you can't really just get acquired. It just becomes too expensive, meaning that safety net is almost gone, which means if you're building a billion-dollar company, you're building a $10 billion company. Like You got to go for it. Is that true? Did that happen? Was there a decision that you had to make there? See, I've heard that. I've heard that between 500 to a billion is like a no man's land. Yeah. And under 500 acquisitions are there. But once you are above a billion, yeah. there are very few people who can acquire you, etc. But I think two things happened, right? One, the world was changing rapidly. Private financing was breaking that billion dollar barrier. See, you and more and more money was available to private companies. The second thing is, we were going through a tier that we don't even have to worry about these things. Like, for example, when we were 500 million or 475 was the valuation, I think it was 2015 or something or 14. In 2016, we were 700 million. 2018, we crossed 100 million dollars in ARR. And 2021, we had the IPO where you know the public numbers where you are at like almost 400. So we are going through hectic growth pace. There was no time to sit down and think or there's no need to think about acquisition or what is going to be the outcome. So. Yep, that makes sense. When the IPO happened, I was talking to the founder of Okta, Freddie, and he said that weekend he partied. He had a good time. He celebrated. He's been waiting 10 years for this moment. And then he woke up Monday morning at 7 a.m. on a customer call with Europe. And he realized, oh shit, like nothing's different. This milestone that I've been waiting for so long is now here. All these people are really well off. We've dreamed the dream together. And I'm still doing the same thing. Did you have that experience at all? Definitely, yes, it is the same. In fact, it was even, I would say, more pronounced. I wouldn't even say it's the same. See, we are India's first SaaS IPO. Right, I'll tell you, when I moved in 2019, the number one question in the town hall was, why are you moving to the US? My investors said, they were asking me to move to the US in 2013. I said, no. They were asking me to move to the US in 2016. I said, no. I said, I was stubborn. They gave up. They thought that we can never move this guy out of Chennai. And in 2019, I surprised everybody by saying, I want to move to the US. So the number one question in the town hall was, why are you moving to the US? So I actually told them at that time, I feel like an Indian athlete who has got a chance to run in the Olympics and should I go and run or not? So I want to take Freshworks public and I have to hire the best team for us to do that. And I cannot hire a world-class CFO or a CMO or a CRO if I am sitting in Chennai and I need people who have that experience of running public companies because I need to learn from people who have been there, done that. Seen that scale. Yeah. Yep. So... That is why I'm moving. So I, I use that analogy of an Indian athlete who's got a chance to run in the Olympics. Now, on the day of the IPO, I actually said, like when some CNBC or someone asked, how do you feel? I said, I feel like an Indian athlete has won the gold in Olympics. And it was celebrated in Indian media. It inspired the whole ecosystem. There are so many founders who felt as if it was their own IPO, right? Now, for me, see the euphoria in India, not just Freshworks, Right. Everybody, like when you see the media article about 500 crorepatis, there are so many friends and family who are calling our employees and saying, are you one of that 500? 
and there is so much celebration and i finished the ipo in september i actually made a trip to india in october at 2:40 am when i am coming out of the flight there were like 40 50 employees who were at the airport waiting to receive me and we directly go to the hotel and there's a party hall at 3 am i'm cutting a cake and celebrating with the employees the first thing i told them for me pressure is a privilege moment was right there i actually told them enough of celebration we have to go back to work because we have inspired a whole nation and we have called ourselves an indian athlete who has won gold you can't go back to sleep now see for an athlete to keep winning you have to keep practicing the hard work happens before the race right so that was my feeling and i think it was even more amplified as there was more pressure because everybody is watching how is going freshworks going to do okay the markets are something different and whether it's octa i don't i'm not following their price but i'm sure all tech they're companies they're getting destroyed yeah everybody yeah. is getting destroyed but i think fundamentally nothing has changed in the business but the pressure is real and the milestone even though we knew it's a milestone for us it was super special see for most companies in the valley it's a special moment like for any ceo taking a company public is special for us it is even more special and we wanted to celebrate it there's a lot of people who give advice that make it a milestone don't make it a big thing but for us it was india's first saas startup it was big for the ecosystem because you know lps have always been waiting for exits in india right mm-hmm. so the flipkart acquisition by walmart was one mnda exit which mm-hmm. was big freshworks ipo was this uh, important milestone to show that an indian startup can go public in nasdaq so i was just researching the most recent articles in the news and the top ones that were the most recent were that you were just granted a multi 100 million dollar stock award that vests over the next 7 years which you agreed to obviously 7 years you've been doing this for 11 years did you ask yourself at some point well, if i'm not doing this what am i doing like am i going to go back am i going to come to kleiner or go to excel and start another company this is it well, i don't know what do you how do you think about that 7 more years is that daunting See this is the ride of a lifetime for me right and i want to create the most iconic product company to have ever come from india that's the mission right so the ipo is not the end game it's the uh-huh. beginning of a new journey and see one of the reasons why i got excited about this is in saas there is a playbook where companies which are at 100 million in a few years they are getting to a billion 2 billion in revenue right it's not one company look at service now you look at atlassian you look at hubspot you mm-hmm. look at zendesk every company has gone from 100 million in revenue to a billion or 2 billion in revenue in the next 5 6 7 years right so short span of time and the multiples could be wherever but that doesn't matter atlassian was probably 70 billion or 50 billion now or 40 i don't know but there is tremendous wealth creation i was reading jeff bezos 2000 shareholder letter i don't know if you have read it's amazing. that it starts off with ouch our share price is down 80% from the last time i wrote you this letter mm-hmm. but here are all the things that we have the done the business has never been better yeah so i think most companies are in that phase now mm-hmm. where we have seen a stock price that is high and then it's low but business is growing so for me the impact that we can create for all stakeholders like employees shareholders in, if we can grow freshworks in through that journey from 100 million to a billion and beyond 2 billion over the long time the stock market is a weighing machine right like it really creates mm-hmm. that kind of value and 
when so many companies are doing it see for me in life when people tell me that hey, i'm afraid of driving cars i say hey millions of people are doing it why can't you just do it take that fear away so when there is a playbook and there is a science and if others can do it then i want to do it so that is the journey which i set out when i moved from india to valley because in india people were celebrating us for 100 million dollars when i come to the valley i see 100 million is nothing like there are so many companies revenue. so yeah. yeah 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 so yeah revenue not valuation yeah <laughs> so so i really wanted to be on that journey because it's transformational for so many lives in terms of what you can do like for example our foundation we have a pledged 1% of our equity for freshworks foundation now imagine that at our ipo our valuation was 10 billion so it would have been 100 million which is a lot of money even at today's valuation it's probably much lower but imagine if we can create a a 50 billion dollar company then that 1% is like 500 million if you can do good things with that right so i don't have anything better to do in the next 4 5 years of my life or 7 years of my life than creating this massive impact on so many lives and that stock award was the board's way of making sure that i have skin in the game if you are creating like a 65 70 billion dollar company and so much value creation for the shareholders then that's my incentive it makes total sense there is a quote that you have that really really resonated with me last night. It was really hot in San Francisco last night so I couldn't sleep very well anyway cuz nobody has AC, but I also this quote wouldn't stop bouncing around my head. And it was success is in the big things, happiness is in the small things. Over and over again, when I talk to people close to you in your life, the same theme kept popping up. Little things make G so happy. A cup of coffee, a beer. One of your buddies was telling me the way to get you're protective of your time. Hey, we're going to go get some drinks, you know. Why don't you come? No, I can't. I can't. But he said if you send him a picture of his friends and a pint of beer, he'll be right there. He can't have FOMO because he knows that that moment is going to make him so happy. There's a story that you have shared where an investor, bigwig in India, took you on a private jet to I think London for a soccer game. You come back and you have a dessert in India right outside your house. Snack. A snack. Yeah, yeah. And you almost felt guilty because you enjoyed that dessert more than the flight that you just had. Is that true? Yes, it is a 5 rupee snack uh, which is like less than 25 cents. Uh, so in fact i was coming back from my visa appointment so i was wearing a suit and everything and i asked my wife to get it because i didn't want to go to that roadside shop in india in a suit and they would like really get i'd be way out of place so i sat in the car and ate it and so it gave me so much more happiness so i think i heard this from like a great i would say philosopher orator guru in india like who said he's the original person to have said the success is in the big things happiness is in the small things meditation is in nothing and god is in everything huh you've said that you're not willing to give the remote control of happiness to anyone else what does that mean so i think that is a big life lesson where i think all of us can benefit from that where you decide to be happy because people are always going to provoke you and you can never be happy if you keep responding or getting provoked by what other people think what other people say what other people do so when i say i keep the remote control for my happiness with me so this actually bothers a lot of people sometimes i just don't let it get under my skin so they can do whatever they want and i will just make sure that i am just happy i don't let for me 
in that sense, I am a very selfish person. I always optimize for my happiness in terms of not hurting anybody, but not letting unnecessary things bother me and make me like worry. How much more special are those moments to you now? So again, I go back to because it's fresh in my mind. Freddie from Okta says that he bought another car that's a shittier car and go to the hockey rink to play with his friends at like 11 p.m. at night and just be one of the guys. And he wants that so bad because that's what truly gives him joy. I've heard something similar about you where you go to the same movie theater, you'll get a Coke and a popcorn and just sit there. Is that kind of what you're trying to just give you a sense of just like, I don't need all this other shit. This is just what makes me happy. I truly live like that. In fact, when I go to Chennai, I go and play tennis with my friends. I enjoy that. And then I go to a like a restaurant where I will have a good dosa or a pongal, which is a, a South Indian delicacy. It's super awesome, amazing. Even there, like people sometimes would recognize me and want to take pictures and things like that. But I just want to go there because I love that food. Even I can show you a WhatsApp message from my friend who was sitting in a bar with friends yesterday and he took a picture of the food and sent it to me. And I actually said, told him happiness is in the small things. No way. I I can show it to you after this podcast. Wow. Well, dude, thank you. This is incredible. I could literally go for hours, but your team is going to kill me. I wrap all these things the same. The first is, are you hiring? Is Freshworks hiring? What roles? If so, how do you get a hold of him? How do you apply? Yeah, we are still hiring. We are still hiring globally across all roles in the Bay Area and Denver. I think we are hiring for sales, marketing, customer success roles. You can go to careers.freshworks.com to check out openings. But globally, also Europe, India, we are hiring across all regions. Last one. What does the word grit mean to you? So I think for me, grit means perseverance, not giving up, really being determined to see it through whatever it takes. Gee, thank you, man. I'm looking forward to going and having a cup of coffee or a meal with you sometime. Appreciate it. Thank you. South Indian filter coffee. That's it. Thanks for listening. If you're just discovering the podcast, we have a lot more episodes from organizations like Snowflake, Twilio, Slack, LinkedIn, Box, etc. If you want to keep up or support the show, the best way to do so is by following us on Spotify, subscribing on Apple, and leaving a review. Also, we love feedback. So feel free to email us, grit at kleinerperkins.com. 